0: Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. I'm Saskia. I'm Chantal. Tiso. And today we are joined by special guest, Dr. Adam Elliott Cooper uh, of King's University London.
1: Uh, Thanks so much for having me on today, guys. Um,
0: So, we're going to kick off today with talking a little bit about policing. I don't really know what to ask. What do you think about the police, Adam? Well, no,
2: because when I first saw you, Adam, sorry, just to just cut in straight, straight away there, you were lecturing about the London riots and talking about policing. Yeah, that's And right. that was back in like 2013 or 2014, when I yeah. was in my master's, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a long time ago. I mean, I guess I've been interested in it for a while and obviously part of it is down to my own experience of the police and people in my family. But I think it really kind of became like particularly important when I when I started um, doing youth work. because so I became a youth worker um, in an area called Radford in Nottingham. Work when I was doing my undergraduate, and then when I moved back to London after I graduated, I worked full time as a youth worker for a few years. And I was always really interested in engaging young people in, in social issues. And so you know, I tried to talk to them about class and you know class inequality, and they you know they'd be like, "Oh, come off all that." all that stuff, man, you know, I'm going to be rich one day, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I tried to talk to them about race and racism, and they'd be like, i can't afford that black stuff, Adam, man, you're always going on about that black stuff all the time, jeez. <laughs> um, but as soon as I talk about the police, something clicked. And they would say, yeah, bun the police, or, or words to that effect. And it was from the, these conversations about the police and the kind of quite visceral response they would have to conversations about the police... Because almost every young person I worked with had had bad experiences, either themselves or their friends or their families or people in their communities, had had bad experiences with the police. And it was through that that I could say, OK, so what's the role of the police? The role of the police is to protect property. Well, whose property are they protecting? Are they protecting your property? No. Well, whose property are they protecting? And it was through that we could have conversations mm. about class. And inevitably, it was also through that those, those very real experiences we could have conversations about race as well. So I guess I became about policing not necessarily because... Because it's the most important issue that um, we're facing today, but because it's a form of violence, I guess, that's in the immediate reality of so many young people that i, I worked with as, as a youth worker and continue to work with in schools and colleges today, in engaging... <coughs> These young people in, in wider political and social issues. I
2: mm. Didn't know you were East Midlands youth worker. I was an East Midlands youth worker as well. Okay, <coughs> in yeah. Loughborough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But slightly different with um, asylum seekers, but were you? So, but similar sort of ages. Yeah, wow. yeah. When Such I was a in good my undergrad. Person. No, no. Yeah, I just you just want to engage people, don't you, in the different ways in which. Certain people are exploited compared to others. And I think that way of going around it, Adam, actually thinking, well, whose property is actually being protected? And it's like, well, yeah, there's a particular type of person whose property is more likely to be protected than mine. That's a really, yeah, I would never think to do it that way. Yeah. Powerful. I, I mean, I was,
1: I was running a workshop in in a college in Hackney a few weeks ago, and um, one of the, t- the teachers, after my workshop, the teacher said, like, so, you know, who here you know, would would call the police if they were robbed? And almost no one put their hand up. And, they no. were like, and, they were, and the teacher was really angry. They were like, no, come on. It's very important, everyone, that you do call the police if you, know, if you are the victim of a crime. And one of the students kind of thought for a bit, and then she said, um, she said look, yeah, if my grandma gets, gets robbed, yeah, I'm not calling the police because unless my grandma is the queen, the police are not finding her stuff, so what's the point? It's a really kind of they great way of articulating yeah, yeah, the yeah, politics yeah. of race and class. In a way that really kind of captures what the role of the police is and how the role the police reproduce power, and so I think yeah it's a, it's a really important way for not only because it sort of speaks to their material reality mm. of state violence but also yeah because it's, it's something that they can conceptualize right um, in a sentence very very quickly mm. as well and
0: mm. it's something I been thinking about a lot because i said on the podcast before like the police have never been a particularly prominent feature of my life i was talking to a friend about this and she was like the police are like a form of violence and stuff but i would rather they were there than not there like how do you address that like idea that the police are somehow like in the background protecting people
1: um so this is the politics of abolition, right? Which I think um, our comrades in the United States have take have have kind of thought about very deeply, and thought about the ways in which we can begin to build um, alternatives and abolitionist responses um, to policing. So very often um, the kinds of responses we get when we set, when we argue that you know the the police as we know it should, needs to be dismantled is like, you know. What, what about what about uh, sexual violence and rape? Mm. All those kinds of things, right? Because
0: well, the police help so much. Precisely, right? <laughs> um,
1: and and it's bec- uh, and so number one, even the most serious and most heinous forms of non-state crimes, right? These kinds of forms of gender-based violence, um, the police are utterly useless um, at l- preventing number one, and even prosecuting if we want to go down that kind of caste-wall feminism route, which uh, you know I, most of us don't, right? And so. The the idea that the presence of the police is somehow a deterrent against these kinds of violence doesn't come out in the facts, right? Um, It doesn't doesn't wash at all. So I think if we even think about the kinds of violence, the kinds of non-state violence that people are concerned with, whether it be knife crime and gun crime, which, again, Mm. there's very little evidence that more forms of more policing can lead to lower le- levels of gun and knife crime. I can go into that in more detail if, if you guys want to. Um, but also sexual violence and gender based violence as well. We start to realise that the role of the police as an effective protector of the most vulnerable people in our society is, is fairly redundant. That's probably one of the most compelling arguments that we can have mm. for dismantling the police as we know it. Um, a lot of people aren't ideologically or um, personally or politically invested in dismantling um, the prison system, right? The, uh, a lot of people do have family and friends and people they care about in prison, but the majority of people don't, right? And so, taking that argument that the ineffectiveness in keeping our communities safe um, of the police, I think is probably the most most convincing.
2: Even I'm trying. I was trying to think of an example where I can think of the police maybe engage in something that's slightly progressive. And the only example I can think of was, I'm sure there's others, but just think on the lines of what you're talking about, Adam. There's an organisation in Birmingham called Forward Ever that are campaigning against people that have died in custody. And Adam, I know you know lots about this, but one of the founders who I was talking to about a year ago was telling me about how he had put on um, workshops for the West Midlands police, to help them deal with issues of mental health crime and within the intersection of black people as well. And the police agreed to do it, but only if it was an option for police officers to do it. So it wasn't something that was they were, were told they had to do. So it's like, even when you try and do stuff that maybe could h- help protect more vulnerable, marginalised people, they're still... It's not seen as something which is imperative, even though we know that so many <coughs> black people in particular have died in, that, in the hands of, yeah. of police. Yeah. And, um,
1: and I guess what's important as well is that the s- severe lack of mental health provision that exists in this country, mm. particularly for working class and, and people of colour, means that it gets to a point in which the police have to be called. So rather than being like, OK, so how do we deal with the police when someone has a violent mental health episode... What we should really be asking is, why isn't the care? Why isn't the supports? Why aren't the resources there for people with um, serious mental health problems?
0: And it's the same with domestic violence, right? Like, the cuts to um, women's shelters, domestic violence services, like, all those things, like, whatever. The criticisms of the women's liberation movement in the 70s is, or could be, like, there was a huge movement to create (laughs) those spaces where women could escape domestic violence have been absolutely decimated. So you, like... Who do you call except the police? Like, where, like there's nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. And all the police can do is tell people basically to stop it from the sounds of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean,
1: Theresa May has introduced legislation to make it easier to prosecute um, perpetrators of domestic violence and gender-based violence. But she's at the same time has slashed any kind of resources um, for women fleeing that kind of abuse, right? Um, <laughs> 60% of women um, who tr- even get to a shelter. Right, which is a, a distinct minority, are turned away because there's no space. Right, there's no resources in like one of the top ten wealthiest countries on the face of the planet. Right, mm-hmm. so uh, on the one hand, yeah, Theresa May can wax lyrical about how she's gonna, you know, fill up our prisons with all of these people committing domestic violence, but she's not interested at all in any of the kind of social infrastructure that number yeah. one and most importantly could help to train um, boys and young men and un- to unlearn mm. the patriarchy that leads. Um, to gender-based violence, and if not that initial um, intervention, then at the very least provide the kind of services that women who are experiencing that kind of violence can can use to escape from.
0: Yeah, Mm. and, like, housing at the most basic level, (laughs) like giving people places to live so they don't have to live with an abuser. Mm.
2: Yeah. I wanted to say to you about, just talking about the cutting of resources and also contextualising it, sorry, within London... Sadiq Khan keeps going on about how he's not been given enough money for policing. How do we navigate him talking like that about the importance of policing whilst also discussing the effects of austerity and cuts? Like, it just seems almost like a missed opportunity from him. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally.
1: Yeah, No, I think you're completely right. I think you're completely right. So after a, a significant amount of time... Um, How far back shall I go? Okay, so obviously there is a problem with serious youth violence in many parts of London and many parts of Britain, right? Um,
0: With what violence, sorry?
1: Serious youth violence. So serious youth violence is, um, yeah, violent crime involving um, our young people. And in 2007, the United Nations came to Britain and they described one of Britain's cities as uh, the most dangerous city in Western Europe.
0: Which city? Glasgow? Uh, That city
1: was Glasgow. Yeah. And... Interestingly, unlike a lot of the kind of coverage that we've seen of CSU violence in London or Manchester or Birmingham, race was never mentioned. Um, And... The Scottish government decided to implement what they called a public health approach in addressing CSU funds. So rather than this being the pathology of a certain um, uh, demographic of people, it was people with complex social needs. Right, It was people who required uh, social care and support if they're leaving the care system or mental health provision or uh, youth services or access to employment and training or uh, joined up um, services with schools and, and housing and all of these types of things that people need in order to live dignified existences, right, on this planet um, and in our society. And it was extremely successful, right? They, we've, it, was, it saw one of the most, in, most uh, drastic reductions in knife crime that this country has seen um, in recent times. Whereas we've not had that kind of investment in uh, Britain's more multicultural communities, such as London or Birmingham or Manchester, where there are comparable problems with CSU violence. Instead, we've had this idea from people like David Cameron that this is due to a insidious... Uh, gang culture. Right? This is what he describes it as. He describes it, and I quote, a major criminal disease infecting our streets. So this is the kind of language that David Cameron uses for our multicultural urban places. Right? These aren't people, individuals and groups with, with complex social needs but you, um, that have resulted from deprivation. This is a major criminal disease, and this is a gang culture, and he therefore declared an all-out war on gangs and gang culture. And we know exactly who he's talking about when he uses that kind of very racially charged language. So rather than a kind of public health approach being implemented in somewhere like London um, and the resources necessary to implement a, a public health approach in somewhere like London or Birmingham or Manchester or Nottingham or some other multicultural cities, we see more aggressive forms of policing being, being implemented. And, and one of the most aggressive forms is, and one, of the most, one of the newest ones, is this new um, knife crime um, injunction which um, the government wants to introduce. And this knife crime injunction, what it effectively does is it um, means that the police can identify young people as, as young as the age of 12 as being at risk or suspected of carrying a knife. So they don't have to have been caught carrying a knife but they can be suspected of carrying a knife and they can be suspected because of the police have viewed on social media or YouTube videos they might have been identified in or people that they associate with in their school or their community centre or their, who their cousins are or who their siblings are. And so, therefore, injunctions can be imposed on these young people, which prevent them from using social media, prevent them from going to certain places, speaking to certain people, similar to the kind of ASBOs introduced by Tony Blair um, not too long ago. Um, And if they break those injunctions, they can receive up to two years in prison. So, theoretically, this law can be used, this power can be used, this legislation can be used in order for 12-year-old children... Who have not committed any offence to be put into prison for two years?
2: It's, this is, it's, sorry, Adam, to cut sorry. you, but it's no. just so familiar. Like it's, it reminds me of the seventies and eighties. It's like we're go, It's like coming back full circle. Like sus laws. Like I know it's slightly different. This is arguably maybe worse that we've ever seen.
3: It's, it's a similar approach that happened in America, where in Fresno, obviously the war on the war on drugs. It's. A losing battle everyone knows it's a losing battle but in fresno they're going for a more public health approach so providing needles and treating their social and their social problems like alcoholism and broken families and all this kind of thing but it seems like people's appetite is for punishment and punishment is when you have punished me like, well, like a crisis in hegemony so the government can get more power because it convinces you by coercion that you, your your lives are in danger so give us more power and that's what's been happening. And so we keep locking people up because people feel it's safer, but it doesn't actually deal with the problem. So when C D says you can lock more people up, it's a simple solution to a difficult problem. No, one's gonna, no one wants to tackle it because The thing it's, is,
0: it's not, like, even from the government's point of view, <coughs> it's not a simple solution, is it? Because of the crisis and overcrowding in prisons. Like, you know what I mean? But like,
3: it's a, a vote winner. You say, I'll lock someone up. I don't care where it is or I'll we'll, build new prisons. It makes people feel safe. So when I come to, like, my area, it's very gentrified now. Where's all, the, where's all the crime gone? It's to the periphery. So it's pushed people further out. It's pushed these crimes, so prostitution, drug addicts, drug dealers, just, just further out. So they can't come into the city anymore.
0: What makes, yeah, it's like, um, what I was thinking about is like who, like they don't know that people wouldn't vote for a public health approach, right? Like it's like whatever's going on in the government, I don't know, like the, it's like, this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it is true, right? That, like, the media, like, creates, like, an idea of problems. So, like, the problem being black youths committing knife crime. And then, like, reports loads of people being like, I just don't feel safe because there aren't any bobbies on the beat anymore. Like, and then the government's like, oh, God, like, we're under pressure now. Or, like, I don't know. Or maybe the government comes up with, like, we're going to increase policing. But
3: law and always a vote winner. Right? Like, if, if you're seem to be soft on crime... It's, it's probing to be a, a, a vote loser. Like how do seen. they know? Just going by what did they say, election times. The Conservative Party and the and.
1: Tony Blair, right? Yeah. The New Labour were very much law and order, right? Tony Blair famously said, "The police tell me what powers they need, and I give it to them." Right? That's that was his policy, right? Um, which is why he introduced powers that allowed you to not only stop and search without reasonable suspicion, but he put it into the Terrorism Act that you can use ethnicity as reasonable suspicion if you want to. But those um, those terrible um, PC bandits at the European Court of Human Rights struck that down a few years later. But shocking, right? shocking. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so. So we, we know that this is very, very popular among politicians. But I think that if, if the public health approach was presented to the public in a, um, yeah. in a coherent manner, because providing mental health provision and youth services and jobs and training and housing is much cheaper than running a prison. It's yeah,
0: that's much, what I was going to say. Cheaper. Like from the government's point of view, surely... Setting up prisons, like staffing prisons, running prison, like that is yeah, it's insanely expensive, but and s-
3: like I only see those things work when you're at the, when you're at the uh, front line. So in Glasgow, it worked because I could see people getting stabbed. Oh
2: yeah, you actually you yeah. probably actually lived in, in, Gal- the, in at that time. time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen
3: people get stabbed. Or when you're actually in it, people do so. When it becomes an actual problem for you in your day to day life, yeah, a public approach would work because obviously crime. Sorry, locking them up hasn't been working because it's just more people getting stabbed. And the same with, like, in Fresno, in California, because the methamphetamine thing is so high and it's so and law enforcement seems to be so ineffective, public health seems like the, the fallback measure. So and someone who's not living in London, like, most of my friends who don't live in London, they say London's finished because they don't live here. They don't understand it. So they're just seeing this kind of, like, through a prism.
0: Yeah, but I totally disagree. Like, there's something, like, fundamental about, like, the Scottish government, like... You know, their whole attitude towards migration, for example, is like they've created this, like, myth of Scotland being open to people no matter where they're from initially. Like, anyone can become Scottish, (laughs) whereas, like, England or, like, Westminster governments, there's much more of a kind of, like, border approach, (laughs) and that kind of, that, like, hardline thing, like, translates also into, like, much stronger attitudes to policing. I'm not saying there are no problems in the Scottish policing system, but, like as in the idea of public health, or, like, that totally goes against the whole we need to tighten our belts, we need to cut things. You see, I
3: think, they, like I said, in Glasgow, they thought they need to try something new because from the 70s and 80s, like, stabbings up there were insane. Mm-hmm. Like, people, like, my friend got stabbed in the face, just in the face, would just sit, standing in the bar, stabbed in the face with a standing knife. Just cause. Now, when you see that level of violence, for no reason, you're going to do anything you need to to get it done.
0: Okay, gotcha.
3: But when you're living in, I don't know, Kent, you have no concept of it So you just see violence and you think I just want to punish. These people they need to be blocked up, they need to be put away.
2: Yeah, these, boys, these boys, these boys, I don't like, care but I don't care their about the families. Reason. Like David Cameron as well, he's got I c I can't remember the quote, but he talks about um we well, use a racialised term to talk about families that are more likely to produce gang members. It, I think it's his speech after the 2011 London riots. I can't remember. I actually analysed it for my master's and I actually can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I just so can't remember. Really but it's, just, but, it. It was, but uh, it's
3: But those places, places, places where you end up going or end up gravitating to is the places that they're lawless anyway. Police don't go to these places. They police themselves.
0: I was thinking about <laughs> this walking through Highbury Fields because, like, it's been sunny these past couple of days, and like, as soon as the sun comes out, everyone goes and smokes weed in the park. And I was like, what is it about Highbury Fields, which is in like, you know, surrounded by these like huge fuck off Victorian houses, and it's like where, like, white people go and like walk their dogs and like take their kids and stuff. Um, but it's full of people of like every, like every background <laughs> smoking weed, and I was like, maybe it's a safer place than yeah.
2: elsewhere because the police wouldn't come here because it would look bad. Or maybe it's because there's maybe it's because there's a mixture of people there that maybe they, like, if it was just a certain demographic, then they probably would go there. They allow yeah. it because
3: they don't like so. There's a street called Old Old Montague Street, right? So it's known for people doing there's heroin drops on there every day. Daily, up and down. Police don't do a thing. I see police there every day. They don't do a thing. Why? Because it's controlled. The people come to get their drugs. They take their drugs. There's no problems, no issues. They, let, they allow that to go on. There's police there every day. Don't do a thing. And this is heroin. And these are people who are usually homeless or they're definitely part of the underclass and there's a halfway house just across the road. This is a daily occurrence. So much so that the residents of the area, the new the new influx have started trying to protest against this and saying they've kind of they they, um, they made a car base saying drug dealers park here, but the council scrubbed it out. Town Hamlet scrubbed it out because they are fed up of drug dealers coming to this area. But the police allow it why? Because it's controlled. Until until these people start causing some kind of damage to property or hurting people, they don't care. Never have done, and that's every day. Today, in fact.
2: So perhaps when it's. Young people, when it's young black
3: mm.
2: boys, that that gives it's it's got more of a. There's more capacity to use that in a way to further demonise, racialise a particular group. Like, I don't know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, so when we see on the news people, like young boys dying.
1: A guy called Robbie Shillian wrote a book called um, Race and the Undeserving Poor, which was published mm. um, just last year. And what he does is he talks about how the dichotomy between people who are deemed to be deserving poor and undeserving poor is intrinsically linked with race. Mm. And he talks about how you know throughout the ages, you know, we have the development of the poor laws in this in Britain uh, at the same time as we have the emergence of chattel enslavements in Britain's colonies, right? Um, and he goes through multiple different kind of historical periods in britain and thinks about the kind of progressive development <coughs> of the welfare state in britain and how this was underpinned by a discourse of a deserving poor whilst at the same time this had these this deserving poor had to be juxtaposed with an undeserving poor right and that undeserving poor was very often racialized whether it be in relation to people of irish heritage identified as irish or jewish certain p- parts of um, uh, Britain's so-called criminal underclass, you know, with the rise of eugenics, you have a so-called cockney race and all of this kind of thing. But of course, it underpinned by empire as well. And, and what, I guess what to, what today we call people of colour, right? Um, and so I think this idea of an undeserving poor and a deserving poor really helps us to theorise how um, uh, some groups of people um, who are involved and affected by C O C funds will be recipients of a public health approach that's,
3: better way, yeah, though, that's yeah. a better way I've yeah. yeah. It? Yeah, that's a better way i mean, and other yeah.
1: multicultural people yeah. of color um communities of color would instead be um uh, seen as not deserving of those kinds of social investments yeah, and those kind to that, to that kind of social infrastructure and should be um uh, and and deserve an, on, only a punitive approach um mm. to the social problems that their communities are facing mm. So um, Liberty have recently um, written a really interesting and important, I think, response um, to the government's um, offensive weapons bill, um, where they're trying to create um, what they're effectively calling knife injunctions, or injunctions on young people. Um, and so these knife injunctions can be imposed on children as young as 12, where on the bounds of prob- probabilities um, it is believed um, to be more likely than not that they have carried a bladed object in the past two years. And Liberty say they're concerned that this is an extremely low standard of proof, particularly given the breadth of punitive conditions that can be imposed and the criminal sanctions that are triggered if the order is breached. So the test is not to invite the police or the court to consider why someone might be carrying a knife, for example, where young people do so out of fear um, or for their own protection. Um, as one person subject to a gang injunction recently explained, he carried a flick knife in his waistband because, quote, in June of this year, my little brother died and he was stabbed and he was only 15. So after he died, my best friend gave me a little flick knife just to hold. Hold with me that, so that I'd be safe at all times. But I didn't know that I could be arrested for a flick knife at that length. So given these kinds of injunctions that can be imposed on children as young as 12, it's extremely concerning, Liberty say, that the proposals make no reference to public authorities' obligation to access and prioritise the best interests of any child the police wish to subject to an order in line of their domestic and international obligations. So basically, when it comes to the rights of a child, prison should always be a last-ditch option. But what this new legislation is doing is using prison as a first option before they've even committed an offence, right? So but this... only
0: for particular kinds of children.
1: Exactly. And we know the kinds of children that the police are going yeah. to be targeting, right? We know this is going to be... Um, uh, black young children um, within uh, Britain's inner cities um, and the reason for this is because their involvement or their, their, their effects that serious violence has had upon them is not seen as a complex social problem that needs to be addressed to preventative social measures and social infrastructure it's seen as a pathological violence right it's seen as an inherent violence they are they are violent because they are black and they will always be black and so all we can do is lock them up
2: It's pretty heartbreaking. I know this is nothing, it's not new, but like, it's that, captured that passage from that. Do you want to tell us a bit? really powerful, but sad. Do
0: you want to tell us a bit about drill music and the political furore about. uh,
1: And so, a lot of these kind of knife crime injunctions are coming alongside other forms of injunctions you um, impose upon black young people. Um, in relation to their um, creative and musical outputs, right? So we've there's a long history of this in Britain and, of course, across the British Empire, which we could go into, right? Um, but even uh, even recently, in, in recent memory, right, um, let's think about the last 15, 20 years, right? We have the rise of garage music in this country, which is, generally comes out of pirate radio stations or sometimes in people's <laughs> garages or, or in roofs or in uh, unoccupied homes on council estates, stuff like that. We see that repressed by the police, right? And it's quite... A, A relatively happy-go-lucky musical genre It's mainly associated with dancing, quite a positive vibe. But we see those kinds of garage uh, radio stations um, being repressed by the police, very often shut down um, and people being criminalised as a result of it. And so what criminalized
0: under what kind
1: of? Because these are these are not registered um, radio stations, right? Okay. So they can be so those radio stations can be shut down, and some of the raves might not necessarily be licensed, or they might be people who might um, have you know be taking drugs and other forms. This of is your era, T, stuff, right I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so was of that course, all the raves? Of <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you got that, cr- you have that. Cr- and so what emerges from that, from Garage, right, as almost a response to this, is grime music. Right and grime music is um, reflecting that violence in a lot of ways. Right, um, it talks more explicitly about violence, um, and we s- then we see the re- the police repression of that genre mainly emerge through the shutdown of, of live shows. Right, through a form called Six Nine Six, where uh, club promoters and owners were uh, compelled to fill in forms where they were though um, they had to fill in the uh, expected ethnicity um, of uh, the people attending um, that particular concert or or club what? night. Yeah, so we um, had well um, this
0: well. with LGBT uh, with lesbians and go support the migrants running this party for of Fifteen, um, is in Bethnal Green, so it's Hackney Council and um, the amount of detail you had to give about each performer in order to get a license was insane, insane. Like, home address, phone number, like, just, like, all these, like, and you're, like, they're, they're literally doing a five-minute drag set. Like, a guy's going to come on dressed as Theresa May, like, <laughs> for, like, five minutes, and he's oh called fabulous. Like, nothing, Like, nothing bad is going to happen. But, yeah, like, it's... Because, you know, they're terrified that you might be holding a grime party.
1: Yeah. And so it got to the point where even two artists, Jamie and Big Nasty, who were doing a show at the Barbican, a very bourgeois um, art <laughs> centre. That's where right? my school in was. In central <laughs> London. Had their show in the Barbican shut down by the police. On the night? Um, a few, very close to the, to the, to the, to the night. Um, there's a documentary about it called Grime Versus the Police, which you can find on YouTube, presented by JME. So if people want to learn more, they can um, check that out. Right. So we have the oppression of this genre, and of course, people, um, um, groups like So Solid being shut down. We have our own governments trying to shut down artists like gigs. Right. Wait,
0: isn't So Solid? not Your cousin was it? East. No, Roldi. no Roldi. Roldi. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but he's from East. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so Solid of uh, where? <laughs> <area. laughs> Battersea.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so we have this emergence. Genre coming out of this the repression of grime now, which is drill music, right? Which draws upon uh, the drill music from uh, the south side of Chicago in the United States, um, ref- and which again reflects a more even more visceral violence, following the kind of the layers of violence that we've seen um, time after time. And so, what the police now are doing is um, imposing gang injunctions um, on drill artists. So these are drill artists who don't have any criminal record, let alone a violent criminal record, um, they, and the police can't. Um, they haven't incited violence within their lyrics because if they had incited violence within their lyrics, the police would have arrested them for inciting violence. So inciting violence, people don't know. If I went on to... If on this podcast um, I said um, everyone should go out and kill Joe Bloggs, Joe Bloggs could take... a Go to the police and be like, "Adam is inciting violence against me," um, and the police could arrest me for inciting violence, right? Um, but they haven't done that. They had that, so they haven't got. They haven't done that. So therefore, the police have gone to a judge and said, "These young people don't have a violent criminal record or anything like that, but we think they are inciting violence, even though they haven't actually done it." So we want to prevent them from saying any names whatsoever, any places um, that we identify, any events that we can identify, right? So th- if they can't say any names. Or places or events, right, they, they basically can't perform their music, right, because very often you name, name people, places and events in your song lyrics. Um, and so they have those injunctions imposed upon them. They therefore, they get a gig at a music festival or something like that, as recently happened with uh, Skengo and AM. Um, it's someone v- films it on their phone, the police find it on YouTube, and then they arrest them and give them um, suspended prison sentences. Right? So th- this is people who have not committed a single <coughs> offence, let alone a violent offence, being given suspended prison sentences. Right, um, And so we see the ways in which not only is uh, uh, are black people who are involved in um, or affected by a violent crime given more harsh sentencing, but black cultural life, Mm. Is effectively criminalised, right? Through these these kinds of policing as well. Black life itself, right? The creative outputs of these young people um, are engaging to try to get out of um, the situations, the social situations that they're in, is being criminalised as well, right? And this has a very very long history, which we probably don't have time to go into, but it's something which is becoming more and more oppressive um, uh, as time goes
2: on. And they've managed to like the media and the government use things like drill music within their rhetoric to say that this is a reason why young young boys are dying in London, for example. Like, the way that they've done that is just so... It's, it's disturbing. Just, it's so <laughs> disturbing. Like.
3: You see, what ha- what's quite interesting is that you don't have to dig quite deep to kind of make that resonate for people. You just have to say black and crime, and people associate together, like it goes together. Yeah. Or black and violence, or they're talking about violence. You'd be surprised how many people don't, people don't, really, they don't really understand that. So I ever spoke to someone yesterday and they didn't realise that black guys are stereotypes being quite violent. They said, really? They didn't really know. They didn't Who understand says? that. What,
0: as in they hadn't made like a conscious association? Yeah, they
3: hadn't made a conscious association. They just thought that was only in America. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, so interesting. But, but that's the narrative that you see on TV.
0: Like, because we don't have a race problem in yeah. this country. <clears throat> so... Mm.
2: Black Atlantic.
3: Yeah. And I I guess, yeah,
1: very very often um, we we treat race as this thing that happens in South Africa or happens in the United States. And here in Britain, we know we have a class. We're a class society, right? We're not a race society. I really wanted to find you guys a quote from the Daily Mail back in the 1950s or 60s in in this country. And it's when um, rock and roll first came to Britain. Mm. And this is a quote from the Daily Mail in the 1960s um, about rock and roll. It is deplorable, it is tribal, and it comes to America. It follows ragtime, blues, Dixie, jazz, the hot cha-cha and the boogie-woogie, <laughs> which surely originated in the jungle. We sometimes wonder whether this is the Negro's revenge.
2: <laughs> and oh so my you, God. Can,
1: you can see the ways in which it just black ch- cultural life
2: it just, it's so, it just changes, over, it just, the wording just changes over time. Yeah, like, absolutely. It, absolutely.
3: This is a consistent theme, but it's the idea of contagion. Like, If this spreads, our civilization is under threat. Our manhood, our livelihood, our women are under threat. And you can see it in people. So if I take one of my white mates to a black grave, and there's more black people in there, they're a bit power. They're a bit upset because they're not, they're not, they don't feel like they're in control. For the first time in their life, the people who have power in that place are well, majority black but I said they don't really care I said you don't really think when <laughs> I go to I went to I've only been to one place where I felt uncomfortable and this was in <clears throat> this was probably back in the late 90s Strawberry Sunday now this was known for being a white club like skinheads would go there but it was a house thing and obviously normally there's lots of drugs so people will be quite happy but this place is the only place I felt uncomfortable
2: why was that
3: this they let you know this is a white place.
2: Oh, really, I'm staring so, at you. So
3: it's policed in such a way. So I, I, actually walked in and walked back out. But in by and large, when you take people, when you take or well, most of my white mates out of that environment and put them in an the all black environment, <clears throat> it's that fear of contagion. They don't, they're not used to that.
2: It's really weird how like how power obviously gets translated in that situation. So. Your friend is going into the back grave, thinking I've no longer got the power, just because people are. But
3: like I said, I, I I understand it, but he wouldn't see it that way. He just he, he feels uneasy, and I said that unease is what I feel all the time. So from my, my working life, or when I go into any kind of environment where I know there's power there, there's an unease. Whether it's in a restaurant, mm-hmm. it's a posh restaurant, and I know these people have a they have a certain way about them. I know I don't have the power.
0: Well, this is what they were talking about on. Um <clears throat> I can't remember what the project's called, 22 Hoodies? Yeah. Like, what we were just speaking about, that, you know, it's um, lots of black men speaking about the kind of way in which they're perceived as, like, I don't know, as, like, implicitly other. Yeah. So, like, this man's talking about, like, he'll be in a room and someone will come in and give him a fist bump and then say hello to everyone else. Um, but, yeah, we were talking about, like, yeah. the significance of...
3: I think my experience as a black man... And as I've got bigger doing weights or lifting weights, it's become, <clears throat> from, especially from white guys, they probably get intimidated. And so they're more likely to say to me, try to give me a fist bump, try to spy at me. Oh, I was thinking about like you
0: in, sorry, sorry oh. to interrupt. But um, I was listening to an interview with Chloe Petz, who's like a queer comedian, and she is like a masculine woman. And she was talking about like the reaction she gets in the street sounded like not dissimilar from what you've described, obviously, like, it's not racialized because she's white, but, like, men, like, expressing violence towards her in that way just because because she she looks masculine. And she said, she was like, the only other person that I found who can relate to this is I met a really tall guy who, like, was like, oh, yeah, men, like, I kind of instinctively aggressive towards me, but I was like, that is literally what you've described. That yeah. people like to see the fact you have muscles and you're black, and are like immediately on guard.
3: Yeah, I, it's it's weird. I, and they come and
2: talk to you about it as well. They'll
3: come and talk to me about, it, or it, depending what kind of guy he is, he'll either talk to me about it, or he will be very passive aggressive and say things in very racial terms, but not being outwardly racist. So he'll say, it's your genetics, it's black man genetics, isn't
2: it? I bet you've got loads of girlfriends. You've
3: got loads of girlfriends. Black people are naturally strong, aren't they? You you you've got an edge, and I'm like,
2: <laughs> you're like this is hours in the gym, hours and hours and hours in the gym. <laughs> but
3: this is this is every day. This is yeah. it's normal.
2: But you see, you see, um, what Adam was just saying about policing and then slowly into drill music. We I swear we were talking about this recently. Um, in terms of your work at Reach Out with the young kids, and you were talking to us about the, the music and how the the young kids were negotiating it, and you said that you felt slightly... Did you... Uh, sorry if I'm misquoting no, you, I am you. I, said, when I saw
3: the young kids, I didn't really understand. Like, this guy's 13. He said, I've got a YouTube channel. I was like, how many how many subscribers? He's like, 30,000. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I said, how many Instagram followers? He goes, 6,000. I was like, at 13? and
0: Why? Th- what was he doing?
3: Just Making beats for people. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole new world that we don't really understand. And I think because people don't understand, especially as we get older... And we become more conservative with a small C. Everything is frightening. Mm. So the first thing people, adults, look to do is to control. We need to control this because we don't really understand what they're doing, and that's what happened in the like late night or well, mid nineties with the rave culture. Like I was going to raves, no one really understood what was going on. All they knew was that people were organizing together with not not with no supervision and doing. Drugs in inverted commas. We, well, we don't, like I said, it, it was that lack of control, and so the government just kind of swarmed in. And I've been to places where government, where the police were, they had infiltrated the place. I think it was a, a club called a couple of club UK. It's probably about nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> and um, the police are actually in the rave, in plain clothes, and then they turn the lights on, they put their jacket on, and no one was doing anything particularly bad. I've been out on a Friday night and see more violence, when people are drunk, mm. but. Because that lack of control, that lack of, that they—it's the unknown that they don't want. So they
2: turn the lights on and keep people, kick, start being violent. Well, this,
3: well, they seize everyone, drugs, arrest the people, and uh, I don't know how they made that choice because everyone was carrying drugs. So who do you arrest?
0: But it's like I don't know. Is it? To so what you said, do you think there's a link between um, the fact that you know David Cameron has this like big austerity push and he's trying to like sell people politically an idea that we need to make do with a smaller welfare state and, like, everyone's got to do stuff for themselves. And it's like, to what extent is this a way of just, like, shifting the blame and being like, your life isn't crap because uh, you've had mental health services cut for your kids. It's crap because people are making drum music and, like, inciting violence in your neighbourhoods. And the
2: black family is a family that cannot condition children to be... Yeah, adequate in his that the way that's the way he sort of yeah. positioned it, yeah.
0: Like I mean, I know Yeah, or like, you know, Tony Blair would like the trying to sell people the war in Iraq, like, mm. you know, means like racist laws around yeah. terrorism or I don't know, I don't know, maybe maybe this is just like how the state functions. Mm. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, I think so, yeah. It has to create um it has to, it has to criminalise and and vilify the oppressed, right? That's why we have. That's why when you get onto the the London Underground, you have, you know, you have um, announcements. Oh, please don't encourage um, begging, right? Um, it's like you think we're encouraging begging. What <laughs> we're making, <laughs> we're making the poverty. Like, it's it, 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 when Is you it us who are making the homelessness happen? Yeah, but we're like we're encouraging the it, right? Yeah. So it's it's this kind of discourse, right? And all you, or, or you have the very, you know, the often repeated phrase. Um, don't give to professional beggars.
2: What, What's a professional what beggar? is a professional exactly beggar? No, honestly, like- I heard this when I was still working in an office a couple of years ago. I heard people using this language about begging, as in, oh, they do shifts. They do shifts, they've got a team of them. Some people go on each corner, like, at certain Oh, they're being times. pimped, they're being pimped. It's like, it like pimped. right, okay. Even if there is some sort of schedule for it, do you think that they want to be doing that? It's like, can like, you imagine anything
0: more humiliating what? than going up and down tube carriages asking commuters for money and being totally ignored?
3: Mm. But it, yeah. But I don't know, there's something in human beings that they, they we believe these kind of things, and we, it's easy for us to demonize people, so, I would give a pound to someone. I mean, See, I,
0: totally disagree. I totally disagree with you. It's a human thing. I think it's a social thing. Do you think I, it's a social... Yeah, I, so, I think it's like something yeah. we're like taught to what, people what, because it... Were you going to say no, you no, would like, give
3: a- Well, like I said, it's, it's, I don't think it's something we're taught... I would do the opposite. My friends would, would say to myself, like, well, this guy's a professional. And I'd be like, well... Ha-
1: so. yeah but I don't think no, that's. what like does that even mean yeah. what it's got a B BTEC in it like. <laughs> 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 that's, 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 it's weird I, I don't understand it yeah. But yeah, vocational understand. qualifications
0: <laughs> yeah
1: like, I mean a professional like you're you're so desperate that you are begging for money so so Ha- I don't un- yeah, I don't understand the distinction between a legitimate beggar and oh, a professional one. Well, a legitimate
0: one. beggar is one who's uh, making money to go into a hostel and an illegitimate beggar is one who wants to buy drugs. I think you'll find that's the distinction. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. If
3: I was homeless, I'd be taking drugs man. Yeah, exactly. But but this like, this like I how I else are you going to go? <laughs> but it, I, it's trying to explain to people that everyone's different. Mm. I tried to speak to my, my reference. That if he was homeless, he would rob someone. I said, but that's your personality. Mm. That's who you are. You're quite an aggressive person. or <laughs> someone who's not aggressive. Well, how do they get by? Yeah. Yeah. I said, some people sell their bodies. Some people take drugs. Whatever you do to survive, you'll do it. Mm-hmm. But people don't really—they don't look at the kind of nuance. Yeah, and I think it's easiest to kind of lump people together into broad categories.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think that's a human trait. I think it's just like a way of dealing with. Like, it's it's a. What's the word? I don't want to say like ideological project, but like as a way of thinking about
2: well, the bond, yeah, the, right? the, our inability to see the nuance in homelessness is har- Like that is harnessed by the government. Like they exploit that our yeah. inability to see things in lots yeah. of different ways. Definitely. Like they can use that to demonise and say it's the individual's fault. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Do we want to talk at all about um, what's happened in the last week in politics?
2: What Tig? What's The independent group. Or like, I don't know, the second <laughs> that referendum bullshit. Yeah, that's what I called it. I
0: started to acronym what you Is that what you called, well, what you called ag- it as a child? TIG.
2: What's it? The fi- the, the game. No, the game where you oh, like no, touch ta- someone. Ta- no, that it. was, that was tag. Sorry, this is a little distraction. Yeah, yeah no, because it was <laughs> different. No, because I started, because I grew up initially in London and Kent, and then I moved to Birmingham. It's really interesting. It's tag, it's, Tig in Birmingham, but tagging it in... Sorry, this yeah. is really... like. This is a, no, because I did the, the
0: quiz where, like, you know, did you
2: say that New York Times thing where it, like, could
0: place where you were in the UK and Ireland, I think, Basically. based on, like, how you, like, do you rhyme this word with this or do you say yeah, it yeah, or yeah. tag? I got
2: every posh town in the South East, oh, so, nice. you know. <laughs> I feel like you two are probably quite a force in talking about centrism. I think you two are the people in my life that probably are the most can articulate how bad it is the most. And when I say you two, sorry, for the purpose of podcast, Saskia and Adam. Um, whereas we, we sometimes we're a bit more like nuance in it, but I don't think we necessarily. That's the right way to be. I think what you guys say first about centrist. it, first <laughs> <right> centrism <laughs> is. <laughs> Why? Uh, what are your
0: thoughts,
1: Adam? Awesome. Um. I mean, I think the problem with centrism is it generally um, distinguishes itself with the left, not ne- not really. It, right. uh, used, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Right? So like the like, identi- like So so centrism emerges from either kind of breaks with like the rebuilding of the Labour Party under. Um, uh, Tony <coughs> clear, i.e. taking power over a left, uh, a nominally leftist organisation or a relatively leftist organisation and shifting it to the right. Or, as we've seen with the emergence of the independent group, breaking away from a, a leftist um, organisation and moving to the right.
0: So, um, yeah, the independent group, just in case people have not been looking at it on the news, is not a new political party. It's a group of independents, mainly from the Labour Party, who... Have made a very cynical career move, as far as I can tell, of just being like, "We don't think that Jeremy Corbyn is doing the right thing as regards to Brexit." But they have like no policies in common. There's no, there is no like commitment to anything behind any of them. Like, it's the most vacuous political statement. They
2: said that Labour's too racist as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And like, and I think, and they. they, 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 also, also his um, Jeremy Corbyn's line on foreign policy. They say that oh, Jeremy yeah, Corbyn is yeah. a threat to national security um because of his position, his criticism of NATO and his other criticisms of um foreign Trident, interventions and, yeah. and things like Trident as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and the other thing they say is that um he's making too many promises um that can't be kept, such as nationalisation of key public services and, and things mm-hmm. like that as well. So it's it's economic, it's foreign policy, and it's in its and it's his position on Brexit. Which interestingly as you know in the last few days um Jeremy Corbyn <coughs> has in the lay, lay party have actually said um, they in, would in principle back a second referendum. Um, do
2: you think that that's, do you think they've done it because of what happened last week? Probably.
1: Yeah, I think in some ways they have done it because of what happened it's last week. Um, in some ways, he's, or maybe they're just trolling them. They're like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you. <better laughs> do I did think that. Like,
2: <laughs> like, I don't know. You say what you want about Jeremy Corbyn. I don't think he's a stupid, I don't think he's stupid. Like, love. it does, it seems quite um, naive to think that he's just done it because Chucker no, said I'd leave it. no, don't no, he's, he's definitely it. done it.
0: Yeah. yeah, to wind them up or to be like, oh, fuck, we're hemorrhaging MPs. Yeah. What but I both. really don't get is how they can leave and there isn't a by-election. How can you elect someone on a manifesto and then they can totally change their mind? Uh, and so
2: many of them are going to lose their seats, I think. There are, like, even if you look at, like, the, um, who is it? I can't remember his name. I think it, the one that's in li- one of the Liverpool seats. Oh, I can't remember. One of them basically has got a, like a solid Labour seat, mm. a chucker as well. Like his Is majority, he your MP? no Stratham. Oh. His majority went up so much in twenty seventeen. He thinks that's just because of him. Like it's just, I don't know. Such a smooth talker
1: they will all lose their seats in the next election. I think Richard Seymour wrote mm-hmm. an article that said like you know, how many trade unions are gonna back the independent group, how many like Yeah, local they'll just councils? put up new MPs, surely.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like the Labour Party will.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um like yeah, the the number of people who will win their seats could be you know, you could count it in binary, right? It's not gonna happen. Um is what Richard Seymour said. So and I think and I and I, and I broadly agree. So I I'm not really sure what they're gonna do. That's what I mean. What's um, the
2: plan? Like I, like say what you want about a chuck up. I think I don't necessarily think he's not stupid. So when I saw what he was saying and his speech, I was like, "Are you?" I don't understand like Chuka's rationale. Like I have not necessarily been someone that has been overly critical of him. Obviously, like he's a Blairite and has been whatever, but it just seems really short-sighted of him to well, leave that's the I, Labour yeah. Party. I just, it just, I just didn't really add up for but me. But this is what
0: was going on in my head. It's like he didn't run for leadership. Like for whatever reason, can't run for leadership. He'll so, lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what's he doing, going independent? Unless he doesn't want to be re-elected. Mm.
1: I, I, personally, I think they can't remain members of the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn because they can't. They can't stomach his policies, like yeah, ta- like right. high taxes on the rich, high corporation tax. Yeah. um anti-NATO and basically anti-killing like killing Arabs, right? Mm. They can't stomach it, right? Um, so there's that aspect to it. So they they can't be a member of... part Like Tr- Trigger said, there is a serious possibility that Jeremy Corbyn could be the next Prime Minister, and I cannot be a member of his party whilst he is Prime Minister of this country. I cannot do it. Yeah, mm. they joined
0: under Blair's centrist project. Mm. So, so yeah, like for them to then be like, OK, we're going to go back to the old days of trade unionism, of, like hardcore left wing politics is like repulsive,
1: exactly. So, he's going to go into doing um after dinner speeches, management consultancy, mm. um, you know, everything that Make people like, yeah,
0: people- and people will be like, And you left Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party because you could, so like, he's yeah. demonstrated publicly,
1: yeah, his exactly all of that like so, so we know that like the capitalist class is divided over brexit right mm. some mm. sections of the capitalist class want brexit to happen other parts of them don't he's obviously in the camp that, of the capitalist class that doesn't and they will reward him yeah. right for standing up mm. um, to lay party right they will reward him for breaking away and leading that contingent in favor of the European Union and I'm sure that he'll be rewarded um uh, very very well mm. and I'm sure he's been advised by Blair and I'm sure he's been advised by Alastair Campbell I'm sure he's been advised by <laughs> because these are the these are the faces of Remain, right? Yeah, Blair yeah. and Alistair Campbell, they're the faces of Remain. They're the people um, who are really going for it. I'm sure they've advised him um, as such, and I'm, sure he'll find a, and I'm sure he'll have a great career in some kind of horrendous management consultancy, um, or whatever What did he do
0: before
3: he was a politician? He was a uh, lawyer. Of course he was. But you see, this is the thing. From, a, from an outsider's point of view, this was like a shit show. I, I couldn't give two fucks, really, about the independent group, the Labour mm-hmm. Party, or the Conservative Party, because it just makes people think these people are self-serving. And this is how populism is winning because anyone that comes in a ticket saying they're going to clear the swamp out and get rid of these people because they're not doing anything to affect my community, I'd vote for them. Yeah. That's that's the actual people are having because I don't I don't care about the internal politics of the, of the Labour Party or the or the independent group. They're so far removed from everyone's daily existence. This
2: is what it feels like it, more it, than yeah. ever. It feels like they're so and it out. Like, of, it feels like
3: you're taking a piss out. Of me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're mugging me off proper time like. People with you are for or against Brexit, you're, t- you're just taking the piss with it. Two years to do a job and you fucked it. If I'd done that, I'd lose my job. Yeah. I mean, if the three reasons they said they're <sighs> leaving the
1: Labour Party, right? Brexit, right? Which, again, most people doesn't, don't feel like has a material impact on their day-to-day life. NATO and Trident. Again, no impact <laughs> on people's material day-to-day life. And anti-Semitism, which no one really believes outside the Westminster bubble. Mm. And let's be real, like most... British people don't care about racism, let alone uh, including anti-Semitism. Um, so the three reasons they've given for leaving the Labour Party have nothing to do with trying to win votes um, yeah. from ordinary people. Yeah, I think.
0: absolutely. And, and the fact that then that woman went out and said something like demonstrably racist like straight after, it was like... <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know, she said, oh, you know, it's not just about whether you're black or have a funny tinge. <laughs> who
1: said that? Did you know what one, one of the people who left the lay party because she said she was so um, upset of all of the racism.
0: <laughs> well, like, this was, like, three hours after they announced the independent group. Yeah, it
1: was Fun. three yeah, it was Although, three like, as
0: before. me and my sister were saying, like, in a way, we've always struggled to identify, like, what way we're, like, not white.
2: And Funny Tinge kind of, like, sums it up. <laughs> indep- yeah. Oh, my God. I, one of the things that I was thinking, though, about them, and I heard this on the radio, and I wanted to check with you guys if it was true. Obviously, I can Google it, but... I wanted to ask on this podcast: If you become an independent, having won your seat as um, a member of a party, do you still get paid, or no? Oh yeah, who pays you? No, then? because I don't think you. I don't think you get. I don't. I don't know if you have a salary. Anymore, no, because it's you. Westminster who pays sure? you. No, because they were saying they were saying on the radio um, that they've got enough that the people that have left. Effectively showing that they have enough wealth to to be an independent candidate, and I was like, "What does that mean that they don't get no, a salary?" No, that's for campaigning. What's that? Oh, campaigning. Exactly. Which in itself is like, like you're be, you're just basically saying, "Look, I've got enough money to be an independent. I'm appealing to this particular type of pe- this particular type of people, middle class. I don't know. It just."
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really I mean, showing
2: who they are. You could
1: campaign for an independent if you like grew up in the area and you know people and you've got you've got like a grassroots following and you can door knock. Do you know what I mean? People like
2: which Anna Subri said she has. Yeah. Well, like this is
1: kind of I guess is kind of what the Respect Party did, right? They didn't really have
2: okay, yeah. money.
1: They just had people in Bradford. They had people in Whitechapel. They just went out and they that's how they won. Um, whereas these guys, I mean, come on, yeah. Um, I don't think, <laughs> Anna Subri's
0: got the cash. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck as well, well. Yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah. from very. A pedigree, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, you yeah, know, he's, you inc- know, he's
1: incredibly wealthy, yeah. Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think they, they intend on having a career in parliamentary politics anymore. Um, I think they want, they, they're really upset and bitter about um, the direction the Labour Party's taken, and they don't just want to leave. They want to like slash and burn as they go, um, and do as much damage <coughs> to Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party as they can um, as they leave. Um, and I don't think they're going to do a very good job.
0: I think it's really interesting that the only people who have left uh, the Tories are women. Like, there's something very telling that... Um, it makes me think of, like, all my friends who've gone and worked in, like, offices find that it's the other women who are most, like, openly misogynistic and like, policing other women's
2: bodies and the way they behave and, like... It's like when I got trolled for saying Theresa May is one of the, some part of... Theresa May is a woman that doesn't understand the experiences of women. Yeah. I, I tweeted that and I got trolled so hard. Did you? But, like, it's, yeah, it, I, yeah, I, I agree it's
0: with It's like you're something saying, about, like, well, like, 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 in the Tory party, which is, like, openly misogynistic, like, other, I don't know, it's like there's something about, like, other women feel like they can't make their mark, mm. or, like, no one can be as, like, horrifically or- and openly mm. awful as Theresa May. Like, there's only room for one mm. horrible woman in the Tory party at a time. Mm. Mm. Whereas, like, the men are much more like, well, you know, there's plenty of opportunities for me, so I'll I may as well stick just buy out. my time. I can kick up a fuss and nothing will happen to me. I don't know. Mm. There's, some, there's something going I know on. You, I know what you mean. In there. And the only reason, I don't know, like, what's her face? Who's the one who's Hastings? Amber Rudd. Amber Rudd. Amber Rudd. I bet she, she, be she would leave if she didn't have such a slim...
2: Majority. What's, the, what's the Putney one again? What's her name? I thought she would leave with them. What's her name? The one who's always uh, rebelling. Yeah. Justin Jim. Greening. Just it. <laughs> Greening. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Right. The, the kind
1: of right contingent of the Conservative Party, right? Um, the real pro-Brexit group. They're all men, right? Yeah, of course. Um, and, Brexit is... And it's a real boys' club. Like, it's a real yeah. public school kind of, like, Kate boys' club, Kate as well, though. Right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> You
0: know the names of audiences. Um But yeah, no, because Brexit is just basically the biggest fucking willy-waggle in the world.
2: Okay, reasons to be cheerful, guys. Oh, don't be so odd, <laughs> so, <sorry. laughs> yeah. But I feel like oh, it's it is, it's quite a... I, I'm like Tiso. Like, even when the Labour Party announced at the beginning of the week that they would back a second referendum, I was like, for fuck's sake, like like, why could you not have just said that earlier? Like, what? It just feels like it's taking the piss a bit. So that's why I said reasons to be cheerful, because what, in light of what we've spoken about, so racist policing, <laughs> cuts to services, fucked up politics, where are our convivial spaces? Where are our solidarities? What can we be I just, hopeful it's in, it's about? A, it's
3: in the day-to-day. Like, I can understand my friends when they say they don't vote. I can understand that now for the first time. I never really could understand that because it seems like they're so far removed and their policies don't really impact me.
0: I mean, if there were an election tomorrow, who would you vote for?
3: Them.
1: Yeah,
0: I exactly. would Yeah, Really? Yeah. What about you?
1: Yeah, man, I I'll would vote, I'll vote for um, Labour Party, 100%. Have you always? Yeah, but um, only under Jeremy Corbyn have actually wanted to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think that, yeah... I don't think... So my position with the Labour Party is I don't think they're going to... I don't expect anything from the Labour Party, right? I don't expect any policies that are going to have positive effects. But what I do think they're going to do or, they, or them coming to power will create the opportunity for is for grassroots organisations to access the resources that they require this in order to just do the political work that needs to be done. So I think under a Labour government our youth centres will be able to be to rebuild themselves. Our yeah. community institutions schools, will be yeah. able to rebuild themselves. No, right? but it's not our schools that, like,
0: as in, well, <coughs> yeah, schools always need more funding, but it's definitely the need stuff around right schools yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. gets cut, like you were saying, like yeah. youth centres, libraries. Youth centres, yeah, like like, libraries. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Community education resources. To, I remember
2: talking to you about this last summer, Adam, on a level being like... What, what do we do? Who do we back? And you were like, you have to back Labour yeah. because this is like, no matter how awful some of their policies are, they're the only party that will give us some money back. Yeah. And this is our money, 100%. right? It's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So we're
1: asking, we're begging, the, this is our taxes yeah. and they're, they're, some of our taxes can be used for not like bombing Somalia and Syria and everywhere yeah. else, but actually coming to invest yeah. Actually, a tiny to invest, percentage,
3: it would yeah, be nice. If, into our yeah. communities. And and,
1: and, and and for me that's I don't expect anything more than that. Anything more
3: than yeah.
2: that. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, I live in like the biggest labour safety ever, so I usually end up spoiling my ballot. But mm-hmm. I I feel like, yeah, I'm yeah. I like I think I over the past like six months to a year I've been more swayed by that argument that at least like under Labour we could Make I don't some know. Changes.
3: My experience tells me nothing happens. I grew up in a conservative government for 10 years. I used to go to youth clubs, Labour came in and, and they cut them. Yeah. So I don't believe mm. any of them. Any. Because what have you done? You've done the opposite of what I thought you were always going to do. So where do you, where do you, if, they're, if, if they're proven to be untrustworthy and at the moment they're proven to be, be self serving and liars, who do, who do I trust, and this this goes on further it goes on further into like you don't trust trust in public institutions is that all time long
2: yeah, I think <clears> I think <throat> the only the only thing that I would say is maybe slightly different about now, and again, like I'm not like full on Corbinista or whatever, but at least he's someone that's been consistent in what he believes is right for the country and communities and like I've given I think I, I spoke about it on the podcast like, I found out recently that Jeremy Corbyn and Ken Livingston basically get made sure that my dad got citizenship here like in the 80s when Margaret Thatcher had brought in the citizenship um, legislation which said that you couldn't have it so like it's example and I know they did that for a lot of people it's examples like that that makes me a little bit more hopeful I don't want to put everything onto one guy because as Adam says like governments are but they're built on being problematic, racist and whatever. But it, there is something about this movement which makes me slightly hopeful, but still, it's got a lot of issues with it because it's headed by these people that have been consistent in fighting inequality.
3: You see, my issue is that if things are so bad that people are willing to believe lies. People are willing to believe conspiracy theories over fact or over what someone tells you. They're willing to believe... And that, that's, that takes some doing. Mm. That you think politics is so bad... You're willing to go to a Facebook to get all your information from one guy. Mm. That's troubling. Mm. And so what, what do you do? How, do? how do we fix that?
2: Oh, God, I can't believe you haven't spoken about it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Tommy Robinson being taken off Facebook and Instagram. Mm. Oh, sorry. Our editor sent
0: me a link to YouTube and I clicked on it. It was fucking Tommy Robinson. I was like, what is wrong with you? Why are you <laughs>
2: sending me that? Um, but, yeah, what do you think about that just quickly? It's just
3: like human extremes, that People will find them. Like, in, in yeah, effect, I did think that. It just makes like... them even more like Robin Hood figures. So mm. yeah,
0: yeah, but Facebook can say to the government, like, look, we're doing we're Yeah, we're doing, doing something. something oh, I wonder if Nick Clegg told them to do that. Why does Nick Clegg Nick Clegg works Facebook oh, yeah, now? Obviously. God, he was really <laughs> badly affected by losing that election, was not he? Poor Nick Clegg.
2: Mm. Okay. On that note, any last words? No, come on, Is any sort of Anything positive. It's really sunny at the moment. Okay. Yeah, but that is uncomfortable. Climate
1: as well, change. Climate change. Uh, oh, that that new tune by Dave called Black is so sick, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> such a banger. I like such Dave. a banger. When I when I re- when I watched that video, I realised that artists on our musicians can conceptualise the politics of race Dave so much is more coherently than so many of the textbooks that I've like struggled and like battled over. Right? I feel like in three and a half minutes he's done like my, what I did in a three and a half year phd he's just gets to the core of so many mm. fundamental issues and reaches so many people and it's in such a digestible way i just think i watched so it three young. times so in a young. row yeah he's so young yeah he's a so baby that,
2: yeah mm, and yeah okay so the message is listen to grime because it's going to tell you is it
1: oh yeah, i'm going to i'll i'll play it we'll when we go outside send you. <laughs>
2: You've been listening to Surviving Society with Chantelle, Saskia, Tiso and Dr. Adam Elliot Cooper. Um, We'll be back with a couple more episodes this term. So don't forget to subscribe and rate us, please.